Amen. The name above all names that will never return void or empty. Philippians 2, 9 says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for Jesus and the name that means something that is power, that never returns empty. May we call on it often, and may we trust in it always. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. What a wonderful time of worship. Thank you, worship team and worship choir, I guess that's what we're calling it, so that, that works good. Didn't they do a great job? They were, they were amazing. Filling the room with uh, just praises. Uh, God says He inhabits the praises of His people, and so hopefully you were stirred in your uh, heart and in your spirit to, to worship. And uh, if you thought to yourself, well, you know, I would have liked to have been up there and I just didn't hear about it, that means one of two things. It means, one, that you're not on our email list and you don't get the Friday email that tells about these types of things, or two, is you're just not reading your email. So uh, whichever case that may be, we want to help fix that. Uh, so it was just something that we wanted to do. It starts out the service so well. Great music, such strong words, and speaking the name of Jesus over our issues in our lives, but also over the joy times in our lives is something we need to practice often, right? You ever heard the expression of when all else fails, read the instruction manual? You know, you'll try to put something together, and then finally you'll pull out the instruction manual and go, oh, this is how you do it. Well, we tend to do that sometimes with the name of Christ, too. We don't claim it early enough. We don't speak it early enough in the issues that, that are happening in our lives. So may we be in the practice of doing that. Well, today we're in Genesis 21, and I want to start out with a quote from Charles Spurgeon. He says this, I think the greatest blessing God ever gives to a man is his own presence. If I had my choice of all the blessings of this life, I certainly should not ask for wealth, for that can bring no ease. And I certainly should not ask for popularity, for there is no rest to the man upon whose words men constantly wait, and it is a hard task one has to perform in such a case as that. But I should choose as my highest honor to have God always with me. That's where we're going today is talking about God always being with us, how sometimes we stiff arm and push him back, and the scripture text is going to help speak to this today. There are three major things that we're going to pull out of the text. There's basically about 10 sermons in Genesis 21, and we're not going to spend 10 weeks in Genesis 21, okay? I promise. We're going to hit the highlights today and pull out what rises to the top. Number one is this. God always fulfills His promises. God always fulfills His promises. Number two, our flesh complicates life. And I, I might just go ahead and tweak that right now and say our flesh always complicates life. And then finally, fear comes when we don't walk with God. And then we'll talk about how to circle back around to God's always fulfilling His promises. So we'll kind of do a little bit of a circle through the text today uh, as we read through this. So let's dive in. Genesis 21, we're going to read through the whole text, and then I'm going to bounce around throughout to pull out those truths that we just talked 
about today. It's a good, rich text, and it is connected directly to the New Testament, and we're going to pull that out as well. Genesis 21, the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Now, if you're just joining us in this text, you're not up to speed on the fact that 25 years prior to this, God had promised Abraham and Sarah that they were going to have a child, and they had to wait 25 years for this to happen. So they probably were kind of doubting that it was going to happen, but now it is being fulfilled. Verse 3, Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. I want to pause there for just a second and say this. That is not a normal genealogy that you would see in Scripture. Normally, you would have so-and-so beget so-and-so, and it's kind of in reverse order. But because this is the beginning line of Christ, and it is specific that it is a, a clean line, that he does it in a little bit different way than you see in all of the rest of Scripture. He says the name of Abraham first. Then he points out specifically that it's Sarah. There's no confusion there. And then Isaac. That's key to pull that out. It'll help you later when we're talking about the promises of God. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. And the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, um, that's Ishmael who's being talked about here, whom she had borne to Abraham laughing. So she said to Abraham, cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. But God said to Abraham, be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. For through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also because he is your offspring. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite him a good way off, about the distance of a bow shot. We don't know how far that is. I guess it depends on who's shooting the bow, right? If, if it's one of you guys, maybe a lot. For me, it's probably about 50 feet. All right. For she said, let me not look on the death of the child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the boy, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, what troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Remember here also that God had promised Hagar back at the first time that she fleed Abraham and Sarah. He had promised her at that time that he was going to take care of the boy. She had forgotten. This is a reminder for her. In verse 18, he says, up, lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. 
And God was with the boy as he grew. He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. That makes sense because she was an Egyptian. Verse 22, this is kind of seems like it's switching gears here, but it's still all tied together. At that time, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, said to Abraham, God is with you in all that you do. Now, therefore, swear to me here by God that you will not deal falsely with me and with my descendants or my posterity, kind of meaning not just my descendants, but everybody that's involved with me. But as I have dealt kindly with you, so you will deal with me and with the land where you have sojourned. And Abraham said, I will swear. When Abraham reproved Abimelech about a well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized, apparently... Abraham had dug a well, and Abimelech's servants came in and took it over and didn't allow Abraham's people to come to it. Abimelech said, I do not know who has done this thing. You did not tell me, and I have not heard of it until today. So Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech, and the two men made a covenant. Remember that. That covenant there is key. It's going to circle us back around today as we're talking about this text. Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock apart, and Abimelech said to Abraham, what is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs that you have set apart? He said, these seven ewe lambs you will take from my hand, that this may be a witness for me that I dug this well. Therefore, that place was called Beersheba, because there both of them swore an oath. So they made a covenant at Beersheba. Then Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, rose up and returned to the land of the Philistines. Abraham planted a tamarack tree in Beersheba. A tamarack tree is like an evergreen, and if you go to the land of Beersheba, you'll see a lot of evergreens there now. Look it up online. You can see it. It's kind of cool to know the first tamarack tree was planted by Abraham. The Lord everlasting is what the, it means. And Abraham sojourned many days in the land of the Philistines. So, quite a bit going on there, but quite a bit for us to be able to cover and to understand how it ties into our walk with Christ today is quite unique. Abraham and Sarah had waited 25 years for the promise to be fulfilled. God came to them and said, it's going to happen, you're going to have a child. They tried to take things into their own hands. They tried to help God out. They tried to move things a little faster. So, Sarah gave... Um, a, the slave girl over to Abraham, and she bore Ishmael. It just confused all kinds of things. But 25 years um, was a long time to wait. And what we need to understand this is this. We learn a lot about what God's promises are, right? We read Scripture. We see what God's promises are. But sometimes we don't see those promises fulfilled in our lives. We're kind of like, what's going on? I thought God promised this, but I don't see it. Listen, delay does not mean denial. That's what we need to pick up on this. Just because God is delaying on something that we think He's promised, it doesn't mean He's denied it. It just means His timing is perfect. And we need to lean into that as we're trusting the promises that He gives. We see in Luke 137, it says, for nothing will be impossible with God. We need to lean into that. Because let me go over the first three verses again. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised, 
And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time which God had spoken. God always fulfills his promises, period. But yet, why do we doubt? Why, why do we sometimes kind of go, I'm not quite sure about this. I mean, there's some things that I think God would probably do for me, but he just has not chosen to do it yet. And we start to have unbelief. I think it's got a lot to do with the fact that, well, we just don't really know what God's promises are. Perhaps when we come out of the book of Genesis, we'll do a study uh, in 2025 on… Okay, you weren't supposed to laugh at that. You're supposed to say, it's okay. No, I'm kidding. Um, it's kind of a joke in our staff too, right? But uh, we probably should do a study sometime on what God's promises actually are because a lot of times we will take Scripture, pull them a little bit out of context, and we'll draw this picture around God and say, that's a promise He's going to give to me when the promise was actually written for the people of the time and not necessarily for us today. We have to be careful not to take Scripture out of context. However, there are promises that God has given to us. We are a promised people. He has promised to never leave us nor forsake us. That is a promise that he has given to all who have given their life to Christ, and yet sometimes we wonder where God is. We forget about that promise. So when we learn the promises, we need to lean into the promises, and we need to know that what God has said he's going to do, he is going to do, period. But it's kind of interesting as we're looking at this. I want you to think about for just a second, um, I think about Sarah who's 90, holding this infant, who's actually nursing this infant. And somebody would walk by and say, oh, your grandbaby is so cute. Or maybe today they might say, oh, your great-grandbaby. What, was this three generations? And she looks at him and goes, no, this is my baby. I mean, why didn't that put people off? And some of you are laughing, and that's okay, because I think God designed that to show the miracle of what he did. He was setting up of the miracle of a baby being born of a virgin. He was saying that the flesh had nothing to do with this. This was 100% spiritually made. It was because of me that this happened, and she is joyful over it. In verse 6, it says, And Sarah said, God made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. Now, this is a laughter of joy. This is a laugh of, wow, that's amazing. That's what that kind of laughter is. And then I just kind of want to back up a little bit. Verse 4, and Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, and God had commanded him. So when God fulfilled his promise, Abraham didn't go, well, thank you very much. I'm going to live how I want. No, he leaned into the covenant. He leaned into the promise, and he showed faith by following what God had already told him to do in circumcision. Remember, we talked about a few weeks back that circumcision is in a way related to our giving of ourselves in baptism to be a witness. It is a setting up for that. And so Abraham leaned into that. So when we have promises that God has promised us, and we live under that, we need to lean into it. Well, you say, well, what promise has God given me recently? How about salvation? How about the paying for the penalty of sin that we deserve death for? How about we understand that 
promise that I can stand right before God, not because of anything I've done, but 100% because of Jesus. The one we just sang about, mentioned his name over everything that we're going through because of him. That's amazing. So let's look at verse 7. It says, and she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. God fulfills his promises always. Delay does not mean denial. It means his timing is perfect. Scripture tells us in another place that his ways are not our ways. His timing is not our timing, and we just need to trust who he is. God fulfills his promises. But God not only fulfills his promises always, our flesh always complicates life. Our flesh just gets in the way. Our desires gets in the way. It started all the way back at the beginning in the garden where Adam and Eve saw that the fruit, they saw with their eyes that it was good, then it was desirous of the heart, and they gave in to that temptation and it birthed sin. That's what happens, right? The flesh calls us, we're tempted to move forward with things. But you see this in verse 8, it says, And the child grew and was weaned. So Isaac is now between the ages of two and three. That was about the time that they would have weaned a child then. And so about two or three. And Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. In fact, many scholars say that probably it was such a big party that he invited everyone in the area, not just his family, but he invited the neighbors. And that's why Abimelech was there. Um, because he's a part of this too, and he sees what's going on. And I'm sure Abimelech probably looked at the 90-year-old woman holding a baby and went, I've never seen that before. And so he was taking note too, and we'll get to that in just a few moments. But it says, But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had born to Abraham, laughing. And you say, well, that's the same word that they use. No, it's not. It is a mocking laughter. It's not a joyful laughter. It's a laughter that comes from a jealous heart, a heart that just realized that the chances of him being the heir of Abraham's everything was over. Because when you wean a child, that means they have made it that far in life living, and they're beginning to take solid food. And if they take solid food, fine. That's a good sign that means that's the next step to becoming an adult. He realized at the weaning that there was another heir and that he was the promised son, and he mockingly laughed at it. Now listen, Ishmael knew better. He was about 14. Some, some take him all the way up to age 17 not really sure, but somewhere between age 14 and 17, he was already considered to be old enough to understand. He had watched Abraham worship God. He had watched what Abraham was doing before the Lord. He had probably talked to Abraham about the promise. Ishmael knew better, and he still chose in his heart out of jealousy to mockingly laugh. So what becomes of it? Verse 10, it says, so she said to Abraham, cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. And then Abraham's perplexed by this, and he's kind of discouraged, and God comes to him and says, don't be discouraged, because Isaac will be the only heir of who you are. Send Hagar and Ishmael off. So Abraham rose early in the morning, verse 14, 
and took bread and skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder. Now, I spent some time trying to figure out why Abraham did this, not why he sent them away, because we see clearly why he did that. Why did he just give them a piece of bread and a small skin of water? I, I can't find it. Maybe some of you guys who study can come to me and say, hey, read this, or this is a thought on it, because Abraham, we know at this point, is rich. He has tons of livestock, plenty of people working in his fields, plenty of people doing things for him. Why didn't Abraham say, sorry, Hagar, sorry, Ishmael, you guys are going to need to leave. Isaac's here. He's the new heir. But I tell you what, go out in the field and pick as much of the flock as you want. And uh, hey, I've even got some extra slave people I can send your way, some servants. They'll go and, and help you. Just take whatever you want. But for some reason, Abraham said, here's a piece of bread and some water. Don't understand. If someone can help me with that, I would greatly appreciate it. However, it is significant because it shows God's promise even again. So you remember earlier that when uh, Ishmael was first born, uh, Sarah treated Hagar so ugly that she fleed. She would flee, and then God said, "No, go back." So God's saying go back that time, but for some reason this time, he's saying send them off. This is what I learned. Several things happened when Ishmael mocked in laughter. To mock Isaac was to mock God's promise. To mock Isaac was to mock the miracle. To mock Isaac was to mock God's chosen nation to come. To mock Isaac was mocking the beginning of the line of Jesus Christ. To mock Isaac was to mock God. Huge difference. And that's why he's saying, yes, that's showing you things to come. And there will be constant turmoil. Even to this day, we're still experiencing some of that but there'll be constant turmoil. So we do not need that muddying the water as Isaac grows. But it's very interesting because there is a direct connection between what we just read that Paul brings out in the New Testament in the book of Galatians. This is what he says in the book of Galatians. He says, tell me, this is uh, chapter 4, verse 21, tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. So now you're seeing flesh, spiritual. That's the kind of connection he's doing there. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. That's where Ishmael's clan to this day still lives. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But Jerusalem above is free. Flesh, spiritual. In bondage, free. See what Paul's doing there? 
But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you brothers, that's us, believers in Christ, now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. The flesh persecutes and mocks the way of God. We tend to say that the world persecutes or oppresses us, but this is internal battle. Our flesh is constantly battling our walk with the Lord. Then he goes on in verse 30. It says, but what does the Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. You can't have both. You can't live in the flesh and get the inheritance of Christ and live in the Spirit and expect to get the inheritance of Christ. You have to cast off the old self, get the flesh out of the way. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. Because Jesus Christ came and gave of himself, he bought us and purchased us with the, with the price of his own blood and bought us back that we might have a right relationship with God. So, why on earth do we constantly choose to live in the flesh when we're no longer bonded to it? Jesus Christ, when he spilled his blood, broke the shackles so that we no longer have to go, I just can't help myself. Yes, you can. It's called walking in the Spirit. And you know why we do that? Because we don't know the promises of God and we doubt him. And it causes us to take matters into our own hand and live in the flesh. Isn't that an amazing picture. I am sorry that Abraham and Sarah had to wait 25 years for the promise to be told, but it teaches me a lot about my own walk, that I am prone to, when I don't see God move, to walk in the flesh. And that's what I need to combat and battle in my walk with the Lord, is I need to say, not today, Satan. That's kind of cheesy, but anyway, not today, Satan. I'm going to walk in the spirit, not in the flesh. Yes, this thing looks desirous. This looks like a better way. It looks like I can take things into my own hand. It looks like that because of this that happened back here, I'm just kind of drawn to that. No. Cast it away and live in the spirit. The flesh will always confuse matters in your walk with the spirit. So our Justification happens instantly when we give our life to Christ. When we say, I know who you are, Jesus, I give my life to you and I receive you into my heart. We are justified before God. So the judgment is replaced with blessing. And because the judgment is replaced with blessing, we begin a sanctification process that every day we choose to walk in the Spirit. And when we stop choosing to walk in the Spirit, I can guarantee you from my own testimony and from others that I've heard, when we stop walking in the Spirit, we're going to end up right here in the flesh every time because it's our default. 
We just think we know better. And sometimes God's way, it's just hard, right? It's just hard, and, and, and we confuse ourselves. We don't understand that Jesus said, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. But yet we go, well, I'm a little bit confused here, and it's because we've forgotten that God always, always fulfills his promise. Paul makes it clear that Ishmael represents the believer's first birth, which is the flesh, and Isaac represents the second birth, which is the spirit, being born again. Ishmael was born of the flesh because Abraham had not yet died or was beyond the age of that. Isaac was born of the spirit because by the time his parents were both dead and unable to produce, God's power brought conception and birth. Ishmael was born first because the natural comes before the spiritual. 1 Corinthians 15, 46 says, but it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. So quite a few years ago, I was sitting in a conference and someone got up to the microphone and they asked the question of the pastor. They said, uh, we're hearing a lot right now in our particular culture about people saying they were born a certain way and because they were born that way that they're going to live an alternative lifestyle. And the pastor's response was, well, that's fine, but Scripture says that you are to be born again. So if you feel that you're born that way, go uh, leave the flesh and be born again and be born in the Spirit. I thought, that's an amazing response because that's scriptural. It's what is taught of us. But what is culture doing now? They're actually twisting it up so much that it's like it's a third birth. You understand they're trying to refute being born again. They're trying to complicate. The flesh always complicates matters. It always turns things upside down. We just need to lean on the plumb line of God's Word and on the Scripture that He has here. Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 and 3 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. In the flesh, we're dry bones. We're going to wither. It's death. In the spirit, we're going to have living water that brings life into us so that we can experience our creator. When you put it that way, doesn't seem like a hard choice, does it? But then life gets in the way almost all the time. So God always fulfills his promises. Our flesh always complicates life, and fear comes when we don't walk with God. Fear comes when we don't walk with God. We, we see this in verse 22. It says, and at that time, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, said to Abraham, God is with you in all that you do. Now, we're not sure that this is the first Abimelech that Abraham actually lied to. We're not 100% sure on that because we know some time has passed. Abimelech is not a name. It is a position title like Pharaoh or king. It actually means appointed one. So it's the leader that was appointed. 
and, and we're thinking that maybe um, Abraham invited them all to come to this big party, and they were there, and they were witnessing it. Um, and Phicol, the commander of the army, was there, which means that nearby was the army. It's right. They, they were around the corner somewhere. Just all he had to do was come, come right up on the hill with his horse or his camel or whatever it was and say, hey, I need help. Because they feared Abraham, and then as they were in the camp and began to talk to him and see that God actually brought a baby from such an old age couple, that God is with them. And then what does he say? One of the biggest compliments that was ever offered out for Abraham, God is with you in all that you do. Because now he is a testimony. He is a testimony of God's promise. God's promise, by the way, when it's fulfilled, brings testimony to his richness and his goodness. That's what we get to do. We get to be a testimony to a dark world that doesn't understand God, that actually fears God, really fears Christian people. They just don't understand. We get to be a beacon of light for them to say, really, honestly, it's not as crazy as you think. It's not as weird as you think. I have talked to individuals before who have come and visited with us. They come in here, first time they'd ever set foot in a church, but they felt called, they felt led to come in. And their words to me, either then or the next week or whenever I talked to them was, it was not at all what I expected. And I said, well, what did you expect? You know, you know, big old people with their big old Bibles, you know, ready to thump them on the head. Went, Be healed. I don't know what people paint, but when you don't understand the things of God, you fear it. You're like, I just don't quite get, get that, and, and they always seem angry. They don't seem like they have joy. They're always uh, spouting scripture. They're always kind of throwing things in my way, and they're, they're just trying to cramp my lifestyle, and I want to live a certain way, and they're just always being mean to me, and people don't understand what's going on. But Abraham, in just being a testimony in his own life, what was said of him was, God is with you in all that you do. How we would probably desire for our neighbors to be able to look at us and say, God is with you on everything that you do. That's faith. That's believing in the promise. That's knowing who God is and walking with him. So, God always fulfills promises. Our flesh complicates life, and fear comes when we don't walk with God. How does this circle back around? Well, it circles back around by us getting back to God fulfilling His promise, and this is the tie-in for today. Look at, in chapter 21, look at verse 27. So Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech, and the two men made a covenant. Now, seems kind of odd, seems out of place. Um, because I've already told you what has happened there, that Abraham, he built a well. He has a party. Abimelech comes. He goes, God is with you. Will you not deal harshly with me because I don't want to make you mad because I think I've heard to make you mad makes your God mad, and I don't need that. And Abraham goes, well, you've kind of taken my well. Um, and he goes, well, I didn't know about it, so I'll stop that right now. And then out of the blue, out of the blue, he goes, here's some animals. He starts the covenant. He goes, here's some animals. Doesn't that just seem kind of odd? It's not like Abimelech said, well, I had my eye on about uh, seven of those uh, nice-looking ooze out there. If you give me those. It wasn't that. It was a free gift that he offered first. You know who else offered a free gift first? Undeserving. His name's Jesus. He offered first a sacrifice. 
Abraham was actually offering a sacrifice, not to be slaughtered, but a sacrifice of his own livestock, a sacrifice of his own income. He was sacrificing to Abimelech saying, I'm offering this to you so that we can make a covenant. It goes on. When you look at uh, verse 30, it says, he said, these seven ewe lambs you will take from my hand that this may be a witness. Witness is key. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. And then in verse 32, it says, so they made a covenant at Beersheba. Beersheba actually means a place of oath, but the word Sheba means seven. And so it's the place of seven oaths. So that's kind of what's going on there. But it was an oath that was made uh, from the words of Abraham. So what's the tie-in? How does this circle us back to God's promises? Well, this literally points to the coming Christ and what he did for us. Listen, Hebrews 10, we're not going to put it on the screen. You can go back later and read it. Hebrews 10, verses 1 through 18, you can see the same thing in Christ. Number one, he sacrificed himself for us. The Spirit came as a witness, and God's Word is the promise that He has given us. And this covenant that was made with Abraham and Abimelech at the time was over the well. So after this happened, Abraham had free access to the well that he had dug so that his livestock and his family and his servants and everybody could have access to water, living water, right? We have to have water to live, but Christ brings us the living water. So you have the sacrifice, the witness, and the promise of God through Christ that brings us back around to the living water that shows us God always fulfills His promise. So where do we want to live, church? Do we want to live over in this constant battle of my own way? Or do we want to get in God's Word and learn about what it is to walk in the Spirit? I don't know about you, but I desire to be over here. Now, I find myself over here a lot of times, and I'm like, what am I doing? And then I'm back over here. He said, pick up your cross daily and walk with me. In other words, when you wake up in the morning, you don't wake up and go, well, let's see here. Today, i got to go do this, and ooh, I'm not looking forward to that, and this is horrible. I think, is there some way I can get out of that? And I've got body aches. Maybe I shouldn't even get out of bed. No, we should wake up in the morning and we should say, all that's true, but I'm going to walk in the promise of God and His promises. I don't know completely what that means, but I'm going to walk with Him today and allow Him to fulfill His promises in my life so that I can reflect His love to other people. It doesn't matter what happens to me. Listen, we do not have to fear anything in this world, period. We fear because we're not walking with God and we're not trusting the promises that He has given to us. He said, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. And we choose to live over here in the flesh. And then when we get in trouble, we say, God, why did you leave me? He never left us. We stepped out of walking in the Spirit and it felt like God left us. And so we have to step back into walking in the Spirit. And you say, well, that doesn't sound too easy. It's not. I'm not going to paint this picture for you that if you give your life to Christ, that suddenly your life is like organized. 
A heavenly organizational chart comes down and goes, do this and this and this and this and everything will be perfect. That's not the way life works. You know why? Because this is not our home. Our home is heaven. We are sojourners just like Abraham was in that promised land that he was given. So let's always trust God's promises. Let's fight the flesh. Let's walk with God so we don't fear. And let's trust in Jesus who gave his life the ultimate sacrifice for us so that we could come back into the first and most important promise is that we are forgiven and made right before a holy God. Good stuff. Good stuff. Let's pray. Father, I'm blown away by your grace and your mercy. I'm blown away by the fact that when I do step into the flesh that you just don't immediately discard me, but you are always there welcoming me back into your arms to always come back in to a walk in the Spirit with you so that I can learn more about your promises and I can grow in my trust in you. And so, Father, I thank you through the gentleness of your spirit that you will meet every individual in the sound of my voice right where they are in their walk with you. And you will prod them to draw closer to you. Show us where we've erred. Let us see truth. Let us understand what it is we need to do to move closer to you. Love us where we are and refuse to leave us there. But walk us on the journey with you so that we may be a beacon of light to others of the good news that we hold, we call the gospel. First, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.